I have the honor of introducing our guests this morning. So you may have figured it out on your way through uh, this morning that we have Teen Challenge with us today. And we're really excited about it. <laughs> we are going to hear from a couple individuals today on um, Teen Challenge role in their life. And for those of you who don't know, you may have gotten a brochure and it says a little bit about it, but Teen Challenge is the in-residence addiction rehabilitation program. Um, and it's all across Canada. And it's in partnership with individuals and churches, many of whom I know are in this place today, let Teen Challenge hopes individuals overcome addiction, uh, restores hope, and helps them reach their fullest potential. So there is a couple of centers across Canada, and we have one in our neighbor, neighboring province of New Brunswick, which I just read doubled in its capacity last year, which is amazing. Um, so we are going to hear from a few people today. Um, about the hope and the restoration that they have found while at Teen Challenge. So I'm gonna hand it over to Spencer, so please welcome. Nineteen fifty-eight. There was a man by the name of David Wilkerson. David pastored a small country church in rural Pennsylvania. He was comfortable. Life was good, the church was growing. The congregation was full of farmers and miners, simple folk. But there was a time where something started to stir in him. And he thought, is this all there is to Christianity? We come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night Bible study. Although all those things are great, but there was just something inside of him that he was thinking, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more. And so the Lord spoke to his heart to call him into a deep place of prayer. And the Lord challenged him and said, I want you to give up your television time that you spend every night watching TV, and I want you to dedicate that to prayer instead. And as many of us would probably do if we felt like God was speaking that to us, you know, we'd probably push back a little bit. And so just like Gideon did in the Old Testament, David put out a fleece to the Lord and he said, God, if this is you, I'm going to put a classified ad in the paper. And if my television sells within a day, then I know it's you. And so he does. And... Him and his wife are sitting there at the breakfast table a day later waiting for the newspaper to come. And that was what his, uh, his guide was for, for God's time that he had to, to provide. And sure enough, within minutes, the phone rings and there's somebody on the other end of the line. And they say, you have a television for sale? He says, yes. The guy says, $100. He says, yes. And he says, sold. So at that point, he had a choice to make. God was very clear with them. But it's important to realize he still had to make the choice to be obedient. But he was. And in these days, understand that he wasn't looking for a ministry. He wasn't looking for fame. He wasn't looking for anything other than to just seek the face of God, to know God, to experience his presence, to experience his power. He wasn't looking for anything. He just wanted to spend time with God. And he would go into his study and he would pray and he would read the scriptures and he would cry out to the Lord, knowing that there's so much more out there. And one of the nights that he was there praying, he came across a magazine, a life magazine, and he started to flip it open. 
And there was an article in there about a group of teenage boys who were on trial for murder. And once again, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, I want you to go to New York, and I want you to help those boys. And this was a big thing for Pastor David because he's a small town guy. He's never been to the big city before. This was a big thing, and the Lord didn't lay it all out for him. He didn't give him a clear-cut blueprint as to what he was supposed to do. He just told him to go. He told him to move his feet and go. And so once again, he was obedient. He goes into New York. He tries to go to the court. He doesn't know how he's going to help these boys. He goes into the courthouse. This is a high-profile case that's going on in New York City in 1958. And he, he figures he would try and talk to the judge. He, he storms into the court, tries to talk to the judge. He gets thrown out of the courtroom. It's a big scene. The media is there. They take pictures of him. The next day, he's on the front page of the New York Times. Made to look like a crazy man, a crazy pastor who stormed the courthouse to try and talk to these boys. And through the Assemblies of God, which is who he was affiliated with in the States, they, they were mortified. They thought, this is terrible. This looks awful on the church. This looks awful on Christians in general, on pastors. This is terrible. But the Lord knew, or that David, David knew that the Lord had spoke to him. And so he pressed through. He continued on. And if you've ever read the book or seen the movie, The Cross and the Switchblade, you'll, you'll see all the, and hear all the stories that happen. God did a lot of incredible things. But David would just continue to meet kids on the streets. He would walk the streets and he would pray. One time he was walking down the street and this kid came up to him not long after this. And he said, you're, you're David. You're Pastor David. And he said, yes. And, and the kid said, we saw you on the front page of the paper. The police don't like you. The police don't like us, so you're one of us. And it's amazing how God can take things that we seem to think are bad, and he can turn them for the good. And so as time goes on, David just continues to seek the Lord, continues to pray. And out of that, the first Teen Challenge Center was birthed in Brooklyn, New York City. Here today, there's over 1,400 centers around the world in over 100 countries. Thousands of lives have not only become clean from drugs and alcohol, but have their names written in the book of life. The amazing thing about this story is that it all goes back to one man's obedience, to simply say, Lord, I'm going to spend more time with you in prayer. That's it. That's it. That's where it began. And what would it look like in our own lives if we would just say, God, I'm not looking for a ministry. I'm not looking for an opportunity. I'm not looking for anything specific other than you. I just want to come into your presence, and I want to seek your face, and I'm going to pay the price in prayer, and I am just going to press in. We would be amazed at the things we would see God do in our communities, in our churches, in our schools. The city of Halifax would be completely transformed if every person in this room made that commitment today. And this story is very close to my heart because I'm a Teen Challenge graduate as well. And I've been clean for over 11 years. God saved me out of a life of addiction. And my hope is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to share this morning. We could talk about an organization and a ministry all day, but at the end of the day, that's all it is. Teen Challenge doesn't change people's lives. Jesus Christ does. We just want to provide a safe place where people can come and they can be introduced to Christ and they can grow in their relationship with him. And that's where the change comes. That's where the transformation comes. 
I am so happy to be here this morning. This is actually my first time at Faith Tabernacle. I know many people here, but I've never been here before, and I'm very happy. Thank you all for having us. We're, we're so glad to be here. Uh, I brought three of our guys with us this morning. You're going to hear their, their testimonies in just a minute, but let me just introduce them real quick. Uh, first is Dana. Dana's sitting right here. He's from Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> Beside him is Chad. Chad is from Digby, Nova Scotia. And right here is Caleb, and Caleb is from St. Stephen, New Brunswick. And just another quick shout out to these two gentlemen behind them, Ricardo and John. Ricardo and John are, are fellow Heligonians, and they uh, are also Teen Challenge graduates, so they came to join us as well. All right, so without further ado, we're going to jump into these testimonies because that's what it's all about this morning. We just pray that you would receive hope from this, knowing that there's no situation out there that is too far gone. There's no person that has done things that are so bad that God can't redeem their lives, and you're going to hear about that right now. So I'm going to ask Chad if he would come on up. Let's make him feel warm and welcome as he comes. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm from Digby, Nova Scotia, and I'm a few days shy of 27 years old. I had a very good upbringing. My parents always worked full-time and gave me everything I ever wanted. I have a sister who I've always been close with. My family has been, always been very supportive of me. I left high school because I just wanted to work. When I was around 18, I started drinking alcohol. I was the type of person to keep things held in and not say anything to the person who was picking at me. When I experienced drinking, I felt like Superman and had courage to say whatever was bugging me and would pick fights and use my anger when I was drinking. By the time I was 20, I became a party animal and was going to parties steady in town. Eventually, I started going to parties out of town to meet other girls and people to party with. It was at one of these parties I was introduced to cocaine. I balanced between cocaine and alcohol for quite a while. In 2014, I began working in Alberta and started using drugs on my off time. This is when I tried crystal meth and crack cocaine for the first time. That got me in trouble very quickly and, and I ended up taking a flight back home. After a car accident, my best friend was prescribed hydromorphine. After we was already addicted to crack cocaine, we started hanging out with the people he was selling to. They were injecting hydromorphine. We became curious. In 2016, I started injecting hydromorphine and smoking crack for the ultimate high, and I became stuck with being tolerant and dependent on this due to withdrawals. A year later, I was prescribed Suboxone, similar to methadone, which are medications that treat people addicted to opiates. This was to help with my withdrawal and to prevent me from getting high and using. Soon, I was selling Suboxone, which caused me to be in withdrawal. Withdrawal led me to stealing meat from stores to sell and support my addiction. I was caught for this five times within three months. My first court appearance led me to jail and remand, then host arrest and probation. Last year, I was trying to stay in line because I didn't want to go to jail again. I stayed with a friend for 30 days illegally, dug clams on closed beaches for cash. I did this day and night to support my addiction while being on host arrest. My parents let me back, let me back after 30 days because I wanted to be away from the messed up life that I was involved with. I got my GED with the hopes of getting a better, better job opportunities. I started working and became a functional addict. I didn't pay rent and started living paycheck to paycheck. I tried hiding my addiction the best that I could, but 
but by weight and attitude told a different story. Over the years, I was stealing from my parents to support my addiction. They were losing trust in me, and I was slowly ruining my relationships. At the point that I knew I needed help, I had a criminal record, been to jail, had a bad reputation, and I was hurting my family and people around me. It was a challenge for me to obey authority. I was stubborn and manipulative. My sister's father-in-law knew everything that was going on. He is a retired RCMP who helps people in the community. The pastor told him about Teen Challenge, and that is how I heard about it. He helped me apply for the program and helped me every step of the way in getting me to appointments and everything that I needed in order to get into Teen Challenge. It didn't hit me until it, it didn't hit me that I was actually coming to Teen Challenge until I got the call that I would be going the following week. I started the program in November 2018, and I've been clean for six months now. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> Uh, since being here, I'm learning how to better communicate and have better control over situations. I'm trying to channel my past manipulation into proper leadership skills. I have completely paid off my restitution and I'm now off of probation. As for the future, my plans are to graduate the program, move to Moncton area, and hopefully get a job driving forklift while I work towards getting my pardon, at which point I plan on joining the military. Thank you for listening to me today. Thank you, Chad. One of the ways that Teen Challenge uh, gets support financially, uh, but also gets support from the church um, through partnerships is our sponsorship program. And I don't have a card with me right now, but we do have some in the back table. Uh, our sponsorship program is something that uh, is a way that we can keep our doors open, but it's also a way where you can connect specifically with one of our guys and really help them through the program. Through the program. And uh, I want to say that I'm a graduate of Teen Challenge. I did the program 11 years ago. And just yesterday, I was going through some of my documents, and I came across a bundle of cards from people who sponsored me when I was in the program 11 years ago. And I just flipped through them and read them and thought, what a blessing this is. People who didn't even know me, who were writing words of encouragement, saying they were praying for me. They were rooting me on, sending me scriptures and so on. And so I just want to mention that because today you have an opportunity to sponsor Chad. We have some of his cards at the back. And so if his story touched you and you want to, you want to look into that, just come chat with me after the service. All right, Caleb, how you feeling, buddy? You ready to go? All right, let's do it. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> My name is Caleb, and I was born and raised in St. Stephen, New Brunswick. I am 23 years old. I had an okay childhood. I was always fed, had clothes on my back and toys to play with. But at a young age, I knew sub <clears throat> something wasn't right about my household between the yelling and drinking. All through school, I, I struggled with staying focused and didn't get good grades often. I first tried smoking cigarettes at the age of eight. Uh, when I was 11, my childhood dog was ran over and by a car and luckily survived, so that pushed me into depression and anxiety. When I was 12, my parents split up for almost a year. I uh, couldn't understand why. By the time I was 13, I began drinking and smoking weed to self-medicate. 
when I began using alcohol and drugs at a young age, my first thought was, I'm depressed, so why not? In grade nine, I began to get involved in the party scene where the drugs got stronger and my self-worth got weaker. Up until grade 11, my focus on life was escaping whatever I was feeling at the time. All of this led me into my first treatment. I was forced into a six-month recovery program. <coughs> I finished and went back into society, but one thing didn't change. All of my past emotions didn't go away. This is the best I felt in my... Oh, this is the wrong testimony, Spencer, I think. I found my first love when I was 17. She was one of my only supports back then because I didn't set up a network for myself. This relationship was as unhealthy as relationships could get mentally without any physical abuse. I almost lost all my friends and family over here as well. This led me into my relapse. I went into the relapse with the motives of not returning or coming out alive. I pushed the human body to limits that I didn't think existed, being suicidal, obviously, sorry. Uh, the first four months of my relapse, I didn't remember much other than coming home to my parents or brother saying I've been awake for six days or sometimes two weeks. My mind quickly deteriorated and my body along with it. The small town I'm from and those in it that cared for me, even though I couldn't tell, feared for my life. My aunt and uncle told me about Teen Challenge, but I chose another path. I checked into a secular rehab for three months and came home to all the chaos I created and emotions that still didn't go away. Within time, I relapsed again, and this time for two and a half years, but would isolate myself for up to a month at times because my mind couldn't handle partying or staying awake any longer. Through many hangovers and days spent alone feeling worthless and all my shame I created for myself, I tried to end my life while drinking one night. Prior to the attempt, my mom kicked me out of the house at this time, I didn't think that I mattered to anybody. I left the house with my alcohol. I went to the local bar, drank until it closed, and continued to drink afterwards with someone, someone else trying to stay the night there because I got kicked out. When we got into an argument, she also kicked me out. By this time in my altered state of mind, I remember taking almost a full bottle of Ativan and blacking out instantly. I woke up 16 hours later in a hospital bed, wondering how am I awake. Just a day later, I left the hospital and went and used my drug of choice because I didn't understand what I just did or the impact I had on others. For the next six months, I continued using and drinking heavily with the thought of getting help always on my mind. I contacted Teen Challenge and knew it was the only way out. I knew it was faith-based, but I didn't realize the positive impact it would have on my life as of going to church and stuff. As of today, I'm four, four months sober. And this is the best I've felt in my entire lifetime because of the Holy Spirit and what God has been doing for me and the good people that surround me on the day-to-day -day basis because of Teen Challenge. If I didn't have God, I wouldn't have anything. Caleb's getting baptized next Sunday. <laughs> there is hope. Hear us this morning. There is hope. I don't know what everybody's going through here this morning, and maybe it's not drugs and alcohol. Maybe that's not part of your story. But we all need to know that there's hope. 
We're all broken. We all need a Savior. It doesn't matter what kind of walk of life we come from. I hope you hear that. Dana, come on up and finish it off. I'm a product of war. My father, he's from the northern part of a country called Laos. And my mother, she's from the same country, but from a different city. During a civil war, they escaped with their lives and met at a refugee camp in Thailand. This is where I was born. In 1985, we came to Canada. And strangely enough, it was my Buddhist parents that pushed me to the Christian faith as a child. This frustrated me growing up because I couldn't understand why my dad told me to go to church while the rest of them went to worship idols. I told myself I would get an answer from my father when I was strong enough to confront him, but I realized I don't need an answer from him anymore because God gave me the answer at Teen Challenge. It was during one of our Sunday choir outreaches at a Pentecostal church, so if you can imagine a Buddhist man sitting in the front pews at a Pentecostal church. He was in tears. And it was at this moment that I realized that for all this time, for all my life, from the very beginning, that it was God that chose me to be a part of his family. I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, surrounded by housing projects. It didn't take long for me to get caught up with my friends and lose sight of myself. Violence used to solve problems came naturally, and being bad was good in a way of life among me and my friends who I called my brothers. By the time I was 16, I've already committed to a home invasion, a robbery, and a suicide attempt that my mother walked in on. The home invasion was an act of revenge for my 13-year-old brother who was assaulted and put in a coma by a 21-year-old man. The suicide attempt was because of a girl. She was my first love. She was my best friend. I remember till this day, you know, in middle school, she used to wait for me after my sports games and we'd walk home together and then we'd separate at a specific corner. And in elementary school, I used to chase her around the playground and I used to throw rocks at her because I liked her. Her name was Natasha. The robbery was of a marijuana grow up. I used the weed that was taking the smoke and to sell. And this act caught the attention of a business owner who was also a drug dealer. This man became my mentor and big, bro uh, big brother in organized crime. This man would introduce me to his family, which would become my family. This is when I found my love for cocaine over any other substance. By the time I was 21, I married a pastor's daughter. By this time, I had a home and a full-time legitimate job. However, I was still doing dirt, using and selling drugs in secrecy. And the more I look back on my past, the more I see that God had given me everything I needed in life in order to be successful. But because of my lack of faith and disobedience, he took it all away from me. This includes my three beautiful kids. You see, in 2009, I walked into my home and found my wife having an affair. I blacked out. I lost it. And I hurt the both of them. After several days, my dad convinced me to turn myself in. And after many, many court appearances, the judge finally granted my release because of the time I served, and he released me on conditions. And in 2011, shortly after my release, I left to Montreal to live and to work, but the type of work I was involved in was no ordinary type of work. You see, I was involved 
with organizing and building and operating several marijuana grow operations throughout Montreal and Ontario districts. And in 2012, I came back to Ontario to start a custody case for my children, which I was able to obtain split custody for. And in 2013, I reunited with my first love, Natasha. Now my parents, they couldn't accept the relationship. I mean, can you blame them? Just imagine being in their shoes, walking into your 16-year-old son's room and finding him with a gun to his head. How would you feel? That's the question I asked myself. I accepted that my parents didn't like her. My mom gave me the option, which was, if I chose to be with this girl, I would lose the relationship with my family. It was a hard one to swallow because I loved them both very much, but choosing to be with Tasha was my choice. In 2016, I asked her to marry me. She said yes, and together we went out and picked out rings, engagement rings with each other. We had it fitted and sent away to get size. However, I never had a chance to see her wear the rings because before I got back, I found myself behind bars once again. You see, Natasha was an opiate user, and I was heavily into my cocaine. And a big part of our relationship was influenced by drugs. Sometimes we would get into fights, and sometimes these fights turned physical. However, when I got picked up by the police and charged of assault by Natasha, there was nothing like that going on at that time, and I couldn't figure it out. I didn't get it. I was so confused. I lost many nights of sleep, tossing and turning in my jail cell, wondering, how could you do this to me? I loved you. You know, I sacrificed my parents for you. I tried to take my own life for you. I loved you. How could you? That summer, I went to plea court, and my intentions were to plead not guilty, but at the last minute, I changed my mind. My thinking was, if Natasha, would, if I pled guilty, Natasha would see, you know, just how much I loved, I loved her. So that's what I did. And in April of 2017, I was released. Instantly, I went back to my old lifestyle, this time using more excessively. I would be hospitalized three times due to cocaine. And the second time, I woke up in front of a nurse who asked if I remembered her. She proceeded to say that she helped revive me during my first emergency visit and continued to say that if I didn't stop what I was doing, I would die. And she knew this because she confirmed that she also worked in the department that zips up the body bags. Now, this should have scared me, but I was so numb from the drugs that even death didn't faze me. But God preserved me because I finally made it to Teen Challenge in September of 2017. I was literally and utterly broken. I had no life left inside of me, and outside of me was 155 pounds of death, just skin and bones. I remember the first weekend there, a man took us out to play baseball, and as the, as the guys were playing, I was sitting on the grass. This is my first, first weekend there. I was sitting on the grass, looking up in the sky, just asking God, like, you know, it seems like you talk to everybody else. God, if I am where I'm supposed to be, you need to show yourself to me. You need to talk, talk to me and tell me that this is where I'm supposed to be. That evening, God answered me. Because before the man went home, he did a sermon. And it felt like the sermon was addressed specifically for me. I couldn't deny that it was him. So I stayed. And I started to understand that the more I drew near to God, the more visible he would be. Since I've come to Teen Challenge, my relationship with God has grown. I've reconciled with my children and parents. The feelings of hate, anger, and rage was replaced with love, compassion, and joy. I used to hate looking at myself in the mirror. I couldn't see past the things I had done. I couldn't see past the brokenness that scarred me. But Teen Challenge taught me that 
My past is not a place of residence. It is a place of reference. So today when I look in the mirror, instead of hating who I see, I love God and I love what he's transforming me to be. Thank you. I had committed an armed robbery to a convenience store in the worst of my addiction that I felt convicted for. I couldn't deny the conviction, but I knew that if I told somebody this information, I would probably go back and do another bit. But the conviction was so strong that I took a chance. I took a chance and I told my counselor, and with my counselor's help, he sent, me and him sent back the money that was taken. You see, this was one of my first acts of compassion and obedience to the Holy Spirit's direction. And in the fourth month of my program, a pastor who was a childhood friend of mine brought to me the news that Natasha has died. The news article said that she had been shot several times due to a domestic dispute. The picture that was attached to the news article was a selfie of her wearing the ring that I had bought her. At this moment, I knew she was my saving grace. Now, my parents knew about this, my family knew about this, my kids knew about this, but they decided not to tell me. I believe this was God protecting my heart because she passed away two months prior to me finding out. God knew when I would be able to bear such news. So he protected my heart with love and surrounded me with loving people to help me through it. Today, I know God put Natasha in my life to introduce me to love because he knew that I would use the love that I know to connect to the love of Jesus Christ which I know today to be perfect love. I left Teen Challenge in August of 2018. I got into some trouble in the program and was asked to transfer out to another facility. I was four weeks away from graduating. I denied the transfer. I told myself I was ready to take on the world. Boy, was I wrong. It didn't take long for me to relapse. However, using drugs this time didn't sit well with my spirit. Because this time I had God's Holy Spirit in me to convict me and tell me that what I was doing was wrong. Nothing that I've learned in those 11 months was taken for granted. So I picked up the phone, called Teen Challenge, and found my way back. Today, I recognized my relapse to be part of my recovery. And by the time I finish the program, it will be 22 months of commitment. Which isn't too bad if you look at it in the perspective of 22 months versus 20 plus years of addiction. I believe this to be God's perfect timing for me to finish. In many God moments, it's been made clear to me that if I don't continue living for Jesus, I will easily slip back into my old ways. So in order for me to continue in this walk, I must learn, understand, and apply God's word in my life. Today, I am honored to be called a Christian, and I'm proud to be a child of God. In fact, I'm still the only Christian in my family. But I have faith that in time, when my family sees the transformation made in me by the power of God, that that is when they will find their salvation. I found my love for cooking and my passion to serve. And I have plans right now, working towards opening up a restaurant to serve people that are less fortunate, as well as the community. And I believe doing this will, will make God happy, because this is his will, not mine. And I know that he will provide everything for me in order to pursue his will. I thank my parents for pushing me to church when I was little. And for them caring enough 
and wanting to see me get well as an adult overwhelms me with love. My children are my heroes because I believe it was their genuine, faithful, innocent, and, and pure prayers that God continuously spared my life. I thank the Teen Challenge Ministry for planting in me God's seed of faith. It is because of this ministry that I am standing here alive and healthy today, praising God every step of the way. Most importantly, I thank God for taking me out of my death and into my new life. It was the first year and second month of my program when a volunteer approached me. She gave me a scripture that was engraved on a coin. And at this time, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. So when I, when I took the coin and I read the scripture, tears began to flow down my face uncontrollably. When I read the scripture, it felt like God spoke to me. The scripture was Mark 10, 27. All things are possible with God. My name is Dana. I'm 37 years old. Dear church, today I public, publicly declare that I am no longer a product of war. Today, I am a product of Jesus Christ. God bless and amen. There is hope. There is hope. I want to make this personal for all of us this morning. I don't want, to want this just to be a time where we travel down from Moncton to share a couple stories and go about our business. I want you all to leave here this morning with a commitment in your heart. And this is the commitment I want you to make. And I'm actually going to ask you to make a step of faith Probably all of us would say that we know somebody who's struggling with addiction. Whether it's a close family member, whether it's somebody we work with, somebody we know of, or even ourselves. And so as we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you to make a commitment to stand in the gap for those individuals. Believing that the hope that you've just heard in these stories is the same hope that can meet those people wherever they're at today. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, if you have somebody on your heart right now, I want to ask you to just stand where you're at. Just stand where you're at right now. If you have somebody in your life that you can think of, that you want to, you want to pray for, you want to commit to prayer for, just stand up wherever you're at. And we are going to pray. We are going to believe that God sees every one of these people, wherever they're at, that he loves them, that he knows them, and that there's hope for them. And your job is to continue to pray for them, to continue to love them. So, Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that you love us despite of ourselves, despite the things that we've done or we've gone through, Lord. And all of these people across this room right now who are represented, that are out there in the streets, who are out there in their home, who are broken, who are hurting, who are addicted, we are believing this morning for you to meet them wherever they're at. We are believing for chains to be broken in Jesus' name. We are believing for addictions to be broken in Jesus' name. 
We pray that your spirit would fall on them. If they're waking up this morning on a Sunday morning after a tough Saturday night, we pray that you would convict their hearts and show them, Lord, that there is so much more to life, that there is so much more to this world, and the empty void that they are trying to fill with their addiction is only meant to be filled by you. Lord, convict us to be the hands and feet. Equip us to go out into this city and be the light of the world. Meeting people who are broken and hurting. Showing love, showing the light. And if there's anybody in this room right now, God, I pray that you would speak to their heart. Anybody that needs to know that tomorrow is a new day. That even right now is a new moment. If there's anybody in this room that is struggling with addiction, I pray that they would see the heart of Jesus. And that is a Savior who loves them, who knows them, who wants to transform them, who does not want them to stay in their hurt and their pain and their guilt, but wants them to overcome, wants them to come to you, to reach out to you right where they're at that they don't have to clean themselves up, that they don't have to do any specific things in order to come to you, but just as they are, they can reach their hand to you and cry out to you, and you will meet them in that moment. Lord, we are believing for miracles in this room and across this city, Lord. Even right now that your spirit is being poured out upon your people, upon this city, Lord. And in the streets of Halifax, you are going to and fro. You are speaking to hearts, Lord. You are putting a hunger in people's hearts to want to walk through the doors of a church to meet you. Or who are wanting to, to cry out with you to you wherever they're at right now even. Lord, a hunger across this city to encounter the living God. The only one that can change, Lord. The only one that can transform. You are so much bigger than any hurt, than any pain, than any situation, Lord. And God, I pray for this church that you would fill them with your spirit. That you would plant a hunger in them to seek your face. Not seeking a ministry not seeking even anything specific other than you, Lord, so that they would go out and in their conversations, in their workplaces, and in their schools, and in their social settings, and their activities, they would shine your light, God, into broken places, into dark places. And so, Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. You see the people that are represented here this morning. Thank you for those that took a stand on behalf of people they know. We are believing that there is hope for them. We are believing that there is a future for them. And in the rest of these moments that we get to worship together, I pray that we would cry out to you to give all of our garbage to you, all of our junk to you. It doesn't matter if it's substance abuse or if it's anything else, Lord. We lay it at your feet in these moments. We abandon our complacency. And we make a commitment to seek your face and to know you more. Thank you for what you're doing in this time. And it's in your name we pray.
Amen.